welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. We're back today with Maiden Lane and talking about the book that we couldn't stop talking about last episode. (laughs) Yes, we are really getting into a groove here with these Maiden Lane books, and we're very far away from St. Giles. Yoo-hoo! Yes, yeah, we right. are we are at Heart's Folly this week. We don't even go to St. Giles, which is great because Lord knows I'll panic as soon as I see it on a page. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you get a slight reprieve from that. I think we go to we talk about St. Giles. I don't even know if we go into St. Giles in the next book, which I am 95% of the way done with my reread from that one right now. I put down the book to record this episode. So hopefully. I can keep my book straight. But the book we are talking about today is Maiden Lane number seven, Darling Beast. Yes. So this book is one of Zoe's favorites. Uh huh. <laughs> Spoilers, oh, guys. It's one of Zoe's favorites. <laughs> I should also say this is, of course, by Elizabeth Hoyt, but let's make sure she gets all the credit that she is due. Today we have a history fact. Yes. So there's a good chunk of this story that talks about gardening and they need to get the garden up and running. And obviously, if you're going to plant a tree early on, it's going to take a long time to get the desired effect. Yes. Planting a baby tree takes years and years and years to mature and give you your garden, like you said, the effect that you want. And sometimes you have centuries, decades, you know, years. Sometimes you have a few months. Yes. And in this case, they've got less than a year to get their garden up and running again. So our hero gets to play with transplanting rather large mature trees. And let's not forget that these books are set in the 1700s. So they don't have any sort of modern machinery to move fully grown trees. Yes, and that is something that we will talk about a bit, or maybe I skipped that section. Anyway. It's okay. (laughs) I did. We are going to tag the blog post in this, so if you're really interested in reading more, I mean, I pulled this directly from the blog, and this is the Gardens Trust blog. I couldn't actually find a direct author. It just says the Gardens Trust. Yeah, I looked too. They didn't have a, a specific person to attribute to this, but thank you, Gardens Trust, for this fabulous and interesting information. Yes. So, quoting directly from the article, Believe it or not, there is an early history of the subject, The Planter's Guide, by a Scottish landover, Sir Henry Stewart, first published in 1828. He begins his account by saying, It is known that the Greeks and the Romans must have moved large trees, as it is recorded in their writings that when they wanted to designate something that was impossible or at least difficult to perform, they said it was like transplanting an old tree. So cool. Theophrastus, the father of botany, certainly records several instances of moving mature trees, including one of a man transplanting a pine whose roots he had levered out of the ground, although they went down more than eight cubits. Don't ask me what that is. Mm-hmm. Pliny, Pliny, we know Pliny. it's Pliny. Yeah, Pliny. <laughs> Pliny in his natural history also shows that transplanting was a common and successful occurrence, noting, for example, that young elms are transplanted into the vineyard at five years old or according to the plan adopted by some when they are 20 feet in height. Seneca, too, learned a lesson from Agilus. We'll go with that. Sure. A most careful householder who taught me that a tree can be transplanted no matter how far gone in years. In Britain... 
Moving large trees seemed to have been well-established long before Brown, with later 17th and early 18th century authors writing about it as almost standard practice. Sarah Couch analyzed the comments of garden writers like Moses Cook, Stephen Switzer, John Evelyn, John James, and Batty Langley in The Practice of Avenue Planting. They all realized the importance of preparation and getting the right balance between size and effect, generally lifting and replanting between 6 and 10 years old. All recommend lifting the tree with as much root ball intact as possible, or as John James put it, in their clod. By 1728, Chambers' Cyclopedia carried a long article on the subject saying it was now possible to transplant large trees without any danger, which puts us in time for our book. There's also a lot of really great um, images in this, and they show people like pulling out the trees and how they would go into the gardens, and there's a little bit more talk about Versailles and transplanting trees there. So the article actually goes into a ton of depths for like, and it's a fairly short read actually too. So if you want to know a little bit more, we will be putting the link to that in mm-hmm. the description. Yes. And the name I was trying to remember was Capability Brown. Capability Brown was a super, super famous garden designer in um, the in Britain. And one day, maybe I'll do a little on D about Capability Brown, because there's so many incredible gardens attributed to him. And what a name. Like, I mean, we, we talk about all of these kind of crazy names and Maiden Lane is full of them. If you think about the make pieces, you've got Temperance and Winter and Honoria and a Silence and Capability would be right on in there with them if you think yeah. about it. So um, anyhow, I, I also think Capability Brown is an interesting historical figure, but That's not who we're talking about today. And we do have some tropes that are in this book that I want to mention. We have forced proximity. We have beauty and the beast, (laughs) which is interesting because like it's not a traditional beauty and the beast, but it has many beauty and the beast elements. It's Mm -hmm. really, really cool. Uh, Wrongly accused and class differences. And our main characters are Miss Lily Stump and Lord Apollo Greaves, Viscount Kilborn. Yes, and we do have a trigger warning for this one. There is some brutality and beating and rape. I don't know, Kelsey, if you included rape in your synopsis, but that is part of it. I did not include any of that in here. Okay. (laughs) So we're good to go. But I have a, f- a discussion point that I want to discuss about it in the in our general discussion. So we will talk about it in our discussion, but it won't be in our synopsis. Okay. Yes, that is true. Yes. And this book, um, the the last book actually goes more into detail of the actual beating itself. This book is more done as like flashbacks. And mm-hmm. so they're in the book itself. It's not as heavy as the other one. So um, it is... The beating is there and the rape was implied. All right. Well, shall we get into our synopsis? We shall. All right. We're going to recap on Apollo, like I just said, because we learned a lot about him in the last book. And the events of the last book play very heavily into the events of this book. So Apollo was broken out of Bedlam after being in prison for four years for murdering three people. He is innocent, but his sister, Artemis, is the only one who believes him. In the last book, the Duke of Wakefield broke him out of Bedlam at Artemis's behest because Apollo was beaten almost to death. Apollo has not been able to talk since the beating nine months ago. 
He has currently been hiding out at Hart's Folly, where he is actually an investor. He invested all his money before he was arrested, so he has no other capital at his disposal. So he is helping rebuild Hart's Folly by designing and building the new garden. Although everyone thinks he's just a dumb, mute laborer. Perfect! Lily Stump, also known as Robin Goodfellow, is a famous comedic actress in London. Asa Makepeace, who is also Mr. Hart, asked her to sign an exclusive contract with him just before the fire destroyed Hart's folly in the last book. Her old employer then blackballed her from all of the theaters in London, so she, her son, and their maidservant Maud are staying in the only intact area of the burned theater because they could no longer make rent. Her son Indio is seven and has a dog, an Italian greyhound named Daffodil. Indio is the first to discover Apollo. He tells his mother about the monster that also lives in the garden. However, soon curious Indio meets Apollo, and after Apollo saves Daffodil from drowning in the pond, Indio invites Apollo for dinner. Lily is apprehensive of the large man, but she does find him oddly attractive. She's a bit concerned about this because she thinks he is mentally handicapped at first. Her son has named him Caliban. Quote, Caliban, the illiterate knave from the Tempest. Well, he supposed he could have done worse. Indio might have chosen a Midsummer Night's Dream and named him Bottom. One day after meeting Caliban, Lily is working on her play, which her brother has told her needs to be finished in a week when Apollo comes by. He sits to listen to her work through the dialogue when suddenly a man appears. It is Captain Trevelyan who we've met many times before, who has been working as bodyguard to Lady Phoebe Batten and notices the strange errands Artemis has been running. As the man who originally arrested Apollo, he sets out to capture him once again. Apollo meets the attack and Lily runs, grabbing Indio as she goes. Trevelyan is thinking his life is over when Apollo lets him go. In that act, he realizes that he arrested the wrong man for the murders. He tells Apollo that he will do what he can to see him declared innocent. Apollo goes to Lily's house to make sure everyone is all right. He, however, is not. One of the shots Trevelyan discharged grazed him, and he is bleeding from the head. Lily and Maud tend the wound and put him to bed in their home. When Apollo wakes up in a bed and remembers the day before, he tries to get up and go about his business without the family, but Indio is already up, and they bond a little bit more outside in the most male way possible. Quote, Apollo tried not to let the compliment go to his head. Precision pissing was, after all, a sadly underrated skill among most of society. Apollo is invited back in for breakfast, but soon leaves again to go about his work for the day. Once he leaves, Maud tells Lily she needs to be careful. Lily replies, quote, He looks at me in admiration, but not like those other men, as if I'm the object he wants to have for other men to admire. When he looks at me, I think he sees a woman he likes and wants to talk to. And I want to talk to him, Maud. I want to learn what he thinks and when his lips turn up and what he sees when he looks at his garden and what he'll be doing tomorrow and the next day. She stopped because she knew she'd lost any hope of eloquence. I can't explain it. I only know I want to spend time with him. When I'm with him, the minutes, the hours fly by so fast, I hardly notice. By this time, I believe, Lily has realized that Apollo is not dumb and knows how to write. So they've yes. been communicating via his notebook. Yes, this is correct. Thank you for that segue. <laughs> <laughs> Apollo starts his day by telling Asa that Trevelyan found him, and then the Duke of Montgomery, a backer in veritable snakes of a man, 
appears and also lets it be known that he is aware of Apollo's real name and who he is. It is a bit concerning that people seem to know all of these facts about Apollo, but he is not yet feeling threatened, and the garden is his only hope of future income. So back to work he goes. Today is a big day. It is the day when they will be transplanting the first full-size tree into the garden. Indio and Lily have found Apollo during the day and stayed to observe the tree going in. Since Apollo is still acting dumb, he has to let the foreman take over the project using the notes he detailed. Everything is going to plan until a rope slips and the tree begins to fall. This wouldn't be terrible, except Apollo sees Indio dart forward for Daffodil, who is sniffing at the edge of the hole. Without realizing, Apollo shouts, Indio! Lily is frantic with worry. Sure, all three are crushed under the tree as it slides, but Apollo manages to save Daffodil and Indio. Luckily, the tree did not land directly on top of them. Lily speaks with Apollo that night, and with his use of a voice now, he tells her some of his history, that he has a sister, and the basics of how he came to lose his voice. He does not tell her his real name, though. In the end, they kiss and would have gotten more serious if Maud had not interrupted. Lily is processing all this inf- all this new information about Apollo when her brother comes to ask after her play, which is not yet done, and they also argue over who gets the bulk of the proceeds. Her brother is the one who sells the play with his name and gets a cut of the money. With finances tight, she is arguing for him to lower his commission. Apollo comes across them arguing and hears Edwin threaten Lily, so he intervenes and physically hauls the man away, telling him he can return when he can speak civilly to his sister. The next morning, Apollo is awoken by soldiers storming the gardens. He escapes, but barely. Lily is also awoken by the soldiers, and this is where she finds out some of what Apollo left out of his tale. Quote, Be careful, Miss Goodfellow, you and your boy and your maid. Kilborn is no more than a beast. He'd as soon kill you as look at you. Now things get interesting and our setting changes. We are now at the house party of William Greaves, uncle to Apollo. It turns out that the play Lily needed to finish was for this house party, and it is also a house party she agreed to come and work as an actress thanks to the Duke of Montgomery. On Apollo's side, he is there because between Trevelyan and Montgomery, it appears his uncle may have wanted to get Apollo out of the way so he could inherit the title instead of Apollo. Lily sees Apollo in all his aristocratic glory. She is glad to see him and know he is all right, but also mad at him for not telling her her everything. His sister is a dang duchess for Pete's sake. She is the illegitimate daughter of an actress and porter. Apollo sneaks into her room so they can discuss things and he can ask her forgiveness and he can explain a little bit more of his life, but... As it is a house party, we finally get a consummation. And then, very quickly, as they are going about the house party, (laughs) we get encounters two through four throughout the entirety of the events. The house party goes on pretty much according to plan until Apollo, who is disguised, who is pretending to be somebody else while he's at this house party, is caught searching his uncle's study, who he's never met before, so that's how the uncle doesn't recognize him. But his uncle goes running off screaming bloody murder. Apollo escapes with the aid of Montgomery and awaits Lily at the meeting place he hastily gave her before departing. Lily, before leaving the party, figures out the real murderer. It turns out not to be Apollo's uncle, but instead his cousin. His cousin is obsessed with the title not going to the, quote, mad side of the family, but it turns out that the cousin is the one that's mad in this particular generation. 
Lily arrives at Hart's Folly to meet Apollo and manages to save him from being shot. He, in turn, pummels his cousin. Uh, And then the father of Lily's son, Indio, shows up to claim his heir. This is not good. Indio is not really her son, but her good friend's son. He was born the night his mother was beaten nearly to death and his mother did not survive. Lily has been hiding him from his father and raising him as her own because the man tried to beat his wife, saying he would kill his first child because his new second wife that he got after is his the money's all tied up in that air being true. So he wants to kill Indio. So, you know, he's a bad, mad man. Luckily, Apollo had Montgomery for backup, and Montgomery shoots Indio's jerk of a dad. Lily's cavalry then appears, a little bit late, in the form of her brother, the Duke of Wakefield, and Trevelyan. They take care of the murderers, and they In the take- form of her brother? Yeah, her brother Edwin her comes Her brother. In. Sorry, I thought you meant her brother, the Duke of Wakefield. Um, oh, okay. her brother, comma, the Duke of Wakefield, comma, and Trevelyan. <laughs> <laughs> they take care of the murderer and would-be murderer, and the day is safe. That night at the Wakefield townhouse, Lily finds Apollo in her room. Quote, I love you, and you love me. I might have been in a little doubt before this afternoon, but when you flung yourself in front of a pistol, it did rather clarify things. And since you love me and I love you, it is right and meet and wonderful that you and I become man and wife and spend the rest of our lives sleeping together and rising together and having masses of children together and living joyfully. And that's the end. Except this time, we also get an epilogue about our current main characters so we can actually share it with you. It is three months later. Lily and Apollo are married. He has been living a free life and will soon be an earl because his dick of a grandfather is dying. The garden is taking shape and everyone is happy. Lily shows him his notebook that she saved the day the soldiers stormed the garden months ago. Quote, she reached out and flipped the pages of the notebook until the last page lay open in his hands. She'd written something there. He bent and read, I love you, Beast. I love you, Caliban. I love you, Apollo. I love you, Romeo. I love you, Smith. I love you, Gardener. I love you, Aristocrat. I love you, Lover. I love you, Husband. I love you, Friend. I love you, You. Oh, it's very sweet. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely gives me that feeling. So uh, it's almost time for us to finally actually discuss this book. But first, shall we adjourn to the parlor? We shall. If you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us everywhere that we are at T as in Tom, N as in Nancy Strumpets. And those places would be Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And if you are listening to us on YouTube, uh, it's a great time to click that thumbs up and hit subscribe before you forget. Liking and commenting on our videos and subscribing to our channel is a really wonderful way to let us know that you like what we're doing and to help YouTube see that we're important. (laughs) So important, like the most (laughs) important. 
If you'd like to know ahead of time what we're reading each month, you can subscribe to our email notifications via our website. If you subscribe, you'll be the first to know what we're reading. Plus, you'll get all sorts of extras, including exclusive content from each of the authors who join us on the podcast. We should uh, have an author join us again soon. <laughs> yeah, we should. I'm trying to make that happen. Hopefully. Fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> Sorry, subscribers. Also, um, you haven't gotten an email from me in a little while. And you know, I'm sure you're like really crying that one more email subscription is not in your inbox, but mm -hmm. uh, there's a bit of a reason and you'll hear about it in the next email update. So join us through our website, romancepod.com. There you can find episodes, the subscription information, more information about us and other resources. So take a look. And since we've been talking about liking what you're hearing, if that's you, we'd be honored if you'd leave us a review. Reviews on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or anywhere else you can review us really helps other listeners find the podcast. This is a great tool, and we'd love to see some reviews. Thank you so much. All right. Okay. So, Kelsey. Thank you so much for writing this synopsis. I imagine it wasn't easy. I, I'm going to just say, I do not think that the synopsis gives it does this book justice. Uh, I agree. However, I was limited on time and I yeah. could not write the entire book. Yeah. So, no, no. I'm just saying like kind of your synopsis. I'm, so I'm not saying your synopsis is bad. I'm no, saying it that. doesn't give the, it doesn't blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it doesn't do the book justice because this book is wacky like it's you know what it's funny because it's wacky but it's actually not it's actually I feel very yes. simple and straightforward and yet there's like I like it almost more because of that like I think some of the other ones in this series like there's so much going on and there's yeah. so much dun 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 and it's just like oh my god can we get over it but this one's like nope we meet who are you? I'm this person. Oh, I like you. That's great. I like you too. We're not going to do anything. Oh no, people are trying to get me. I must like, yeah, you know, no, it just kind of goes along at pace and there you meet people. There aren't so many twists um, and everything is reasonably is solved pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there is the whole thing. There's like, you know, they're, they're at the garden and then all of a sudden like, I feel like I wasn't expecting for Apollo to get chased away from the garden so soon. But we have then but we, we moved to the house party. But we needed four encounters at the house party. So yeah, we, we did. We needed four <laughs> encounters. Um, but then, yeah, but then we needed this house party. Now, the house party is kind of like, it's such a wackadoo thing. Like, what? They're going to a house party? Uh, he's How is he not going to be recognized by his own family? Oh, wait, he's never met them. Okay. They kind of are, like, his uncle catches on. His uncle's like, do I know you? You look really familiar. <laughs> yeah, uh, because he's like, hmm. And even Apollo like looks at it, he's like, oh, my cousin and I kind of like move and act similarly, like yeah. just naturally. So yeah. there is some kind of thing there. It is very interesting as far as like how it comes out that this is the house party, which is also the one that Lily's supposed to be at. Like that just seems very random, which is also the play that she was writing. And I'm like, coincidence, yeah. coincidence, coincidence. Oh, no, it's all been manipulated by Montgomery. Oh, That's I know, which the is thing. great. 
Oh, no, yeah. it has been. And this is where you start to learn Montgomery and his manip- manipulations. And he's very much a character where you can't decide if you like him or hate him. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I can't even remember his book. I'm excited to get to his book because oh, he's so – His I book's really great because it's a, like – employee employer kind of relationship yes. but she's just a badass and i, I love remember her. her i don't remember him and his story it's funny but anyhow um i think That's this book <laughs> has all the best drama so mm-hmm. first of all you've got apollo who you know has to kind of like reveal who he is but also like he he's mute at the beginning so you have the beginning of this relationship do you remember what it was it flowers from the storm where we also had another character who couldn't speak and was in the asylum i think and that was flowers from the storm yeah, and or something so, like so that there's similarities but the drama of him not only regaining his voice so he was stepped on his throat was stepped on during so his physical beating. injury so him actually being able to regain his voice makes more sense mm-hmm. yep. because he's he even says i haven't well he writes to lily in his notebook that he hasn't tried in months yeah. to speak because it just hurt and he didn't want to do it and it did nothing happen so he just didn't so, so him regaining his voice is like the best sort of drama but the way he does it like because he's calling out to save the boy oh my gosh it's like it's such an amazing thing and I also think the drama of the storyline about Indio so Indio has one blue eye and one green eye and of course someone at the party also the house party also has one blue eye one green eye again this is orchestrated by Montgomery who's a dickwad um but uh so you find out that that's the father but then you find out right near the end that Lily's not actually his biological mom which oh yeah you don't even know that you yeah, totally you think that she's his mom, mom. And then, and like, there's little hints about who the mom actually is. It's why she's not really into like, it's why she's hesitant around big men. It's why she's hesitant around Well, you think that this has like, all happened to Lily, right? Mm-hmm. But then you slowly piece it together that it happened to her best friend. And Maude says it in the beginning, remember Kitty. But it doesn't quite like... Also because Kitty's name is Kitty, like it doesn't at first, when you first see that and you have no context of having it heard Kitty. It seems like some kind of nickname, you know? Yeah. Or like it almost seems like Maud could be even be saying like, remember Kitty, like, you know, yeah. to, as if that's Lily's pet name. So as the reader, like you're you're really like l- tricked a little bit into this like un- I don't know, just this trusting thing and you you trust that it's Lily. But then when it happens, all of the pieces are there for you to go, oh, my God, it was in front of me this whole time. It's such mm-hmm. it's such fun you drama. Know, it's, but it's it's a fun drama. But it's also something it's like it's a third act reveal, which yes. like, happens a lot in these books. But mm-hmm. it's not a third act reveal that like cat like detriments the whole story. It just no. flows into it, which makes it even better because, again, it's crazy and it's wonky and there's all these pieces at play, but it all fits so seamlessly together. And it just like, it's like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. Yep. This is a totally the right time for that to happen. Oh yes. Oh, he's there and he's going to kill. Absolutely. Totally, totally tracks. You know, it's just so yeah. funny how that all works. <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, and I, I love, I guess we should talk a little bit about our characters. So let's talk about Lily first. Cause I think she'll be faster maybe. <laughs> Um, or actually, did you get to, to share many of your general thoughts before we move on? Uh, I feel like I did. I mean, okay. like, I, I really enjoyed this one. I thought the pace of this one was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked – I did 
again, I couldn't do it justice. I knew I wasn't going to, so I just went for brief and abbreviated. Um, but Fair. as you saw, I did try to throw the quotes in there that were kind of like the fun one about like the precision pissing. Yeah, that was which so I funny. just thought was funny. And but then like some more serious ones, you know, I just I tried to get a little bit more in there, but it it was just a really um, as far as rereading it, because like I reread it, but it was still fresh in my mind. But then to write the notes, I literally kind of had to skip and f- fast read. Yeah, because that was the easiest way to like get my thoughts organized and then put it all down quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, but it was funny because even like quick reading, I kind of got swept up in reading it, and I was like, "Nope, keep skipping. You got to keep. You're going on fast here. We're not spending a day and a half reading this. You got to get this done so you can get this written." you know, in 45 minutes tomorrow morning. (laughs) Yes. Well, um, let's talk a little bit deeper about our characters. Let's talk first about Lily. What did you think about Lily? Um, I thought Lily was really great. I think that she, um, she wasn't one of those heroines that kind of sparkles and shines right away, but Mm -hmm. she has this kind of quiet, like, this quiet dignity to her that makes you really like her. Like she cares about her son, but she's not super overprotective. She actually has to like quell that instinct in her. Um, but she is protective enough. Um, she's in it. Like she's smart. She doesn't get down. Like she knows she's living in the theater, but it's like, well, this is what life is right now. We're doing okay. Um, she writes plays and she's totally good with it. She's knows her lot in light. She knows she's an actress, embraces that, but isn't, she isn't ashamed of it. And she's also just really steady, you know, like thinks Apollo is one thing, learns he's another thing. And then she's not like, oh, no, how dare you lie to me? She's like, "Okay." like if anything, she's just mad because Apollo gave her not the entire truth. And that's really the biggest thing she's mad about. She's like, you could have told me then. Yeah. But instead, I found out differently what the and then you left and I didn't even know if you were alive. She's more concerned about the alive part. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think she's – I completely agree with everything you had to say. I think that she is really interesting. I think she's just like – she comes across as a really, really smart person mm-hmm. and a really like level-headed, like you said, person, caring, kind, interesting. Um, There's a lot of dimension to her character, like I said, with the finding out about Indio and their history with that and – And kind of like in a way, just because of all of the details of how they came to be a family, like, and how fiercely she, protective she is of him, um, it, it, it just makes you love her more. Like it just, you, you're just like, wow, she's, she's really selfless. Like, Mm -hmm. and she just took, took, this wasn't a situation she was in, but when it came to her, she took it on. And so like, I don't know, you just... I just really respect her. Yeah. Also, a couple books ago, there was like a character who went with um, uh, it's some character went with Griffith, right? Like she went with Griffith. She was the brother's best friend. I think it was like the Duchess Lady, Hunter, Lady Catherine. Yeah, yeah. It was she the like went into the, of my heart. Yes, she went with the the guy, the hero, like to this dark place, and like didn't ask any questions, and I complained about it. So anyhow, this is there is a moment where, in my opinion, Lily did the opposite thing in this book, and I really liked it. So here is the quote. It was, um, oh wait, sorry, that's not the quote. Go back. Where did no? I had it, but I clicked on the wrong one. It happens. So this is when she's, uh. 
she's thinking that Caliban is like, you know, just this dumb worker who's kind of like doddering. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but what was more disturbing? There was a glimmer somewhere in the muddy brown depths that made Lily dry in her breath. It was a glimmer of intelligence, sharp intelligence, and it made her afraid. Because if India was right, if this man, this stranger, was not just a simple gardener, but was somehow in charge of the other gardeners, then he wasn't at all what she'd first taken him for. She was aware suddenly of how he wa- of how huge he was, how male. He was in her home with her little boy and an old woman, and they had no defenses. And so, like, I just really appreciated that because I'm like, that is how you should react. And, like, Mm -hmm. that is how you should – like, it doesn't mean that then you should kick him out and da-da-da-da-da because obviously Lily doesn't do exactly that. But her senses are heightened and she she follows her gut after that and is, like, Mm -hmm. a little bit more – kind of, you know, suspicious of Caliban. And she finally is like, you can write. I saw you reading that. Don't yeah, give me like that BS. Yeah, she like comes out and he's reading her, her play. And she's like, oh, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, who are you? And then she like gets in his face. She's like, who are you and what are you doing? And why are you playing dumb? Yeah. And then he says like, Caliban will do. And then he, but they start to get to know each other then mm-hmm. at a different level. And I was like, okay, this is the kind of heroine I can get behind. Anyhow, I really love Lily. I don't know. I guess I'd probably give her a nine. I would say she is like an 8.5 for me. Like she's super solid. Again, there's not a lot of razzle dazzle, I guess. Fair. But like I've got nothing against her. Yeah, I think I just have a major love for this book. I almost gave her an 8.52. It's funny because like, when we were talking about the last one, I had just read this one. And now we're talking about this one. And I am just reading the next one. And I'm like really wrapped up in that one. There is something that really sweeps you away about these books when you're reading them. Anyhow. um, Okay, so now we have Apollo. Wow. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Apollo's great. Like, mm-hmm. when, when we meet him in the last book, he's, like, jokey, and even though he's been in Bedlam, Artemis is, like, he's still putting on the jokey thing, but he also, like, he gets beaten for trying to stop some nasty people from raping another inmate, mm-hmm. you know, so he he really has a good heart, and then even in this, like, he sees Lily and the kid, and he goes to Asa, and he's like, they can't be here. This is like, I have to be here and they can't be here because I need to hide here. And like, that's going to draw attention. But then like knowing their circumstances, he's like, fine, whatever. Like, I guess they have to stay. And he's always really cute because even though he's kind of like avoiding the boy, he's like, he's just a little boy. He can't help but be curious, you know? Yeah. And and God, he's always saving the damn dog. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> and just imagine this big, giant guy, like, and this little tiny Italian greyhound. It's so oh, cute. Yeah, no, like, literally pick it up with one hand. Yeah, he's like, I hit six feet at 15 and then kept growing. Like, yeah. So and he's this is probably the 1700s. like, yeah, but he's still, he's probably like six four or six five. He's tall. Yes. And he's big and muscular, too. Yeah, he's, and, you know, his nose has been broken a couple times. Um, yeah, I just love Apollo. I love the dimensions of him. I love the evolution of him. I love just all the interactions. I think it's really interesting when you have the kind of, you know, 
in the beginning, it's only kind of the actions right Mm -hmm. from him. And then it becomes the words um, with the actions. And I think the fact that like that speech that he gives at the end about how much, you know, I love you and you love me, like he's so eloquent and sweet after everything that's happened to him. Yeah. Um, I just, I love him. So, I mean. And he says, I love you first. In fact, I was almost a little like, they finally say it in the end, but like Lily doesn't even tell him she loves him. Like he kind of tells her, I love you and I know you love me. Like, but I'm like, but she doesn't say it to you. She has to say it herself. <laughs> I don't know. He's just one of but my. No, but he's so sweet. He is. He's like a gentle giant and he's uh-huh. really soft, but he has like, I mean, he's not afraid to, he's like protective. And again, I think his his arc as far as who he is and his understanding, like he's not jumping to conclusions. He's not even his life isn't dictated by anger. It's dictated by survival, which is so different. I think a lot of the characters have been mm-hmm. run by hurt or anger. They had very yeah. negative emotions as their driving forces. And I think he's one of the first ones in this series where his driving forces are not negative. Which I think is different, and I think that what's what's make is what makes him so likable and so um, easy to read. Yeah, I think that's a really great way to describe it. Um, he's just also for me a, a hero and a book that I can never forget. He's super memorable, mm-hmm. so he gets a ten from me. He'll get a nine point five. Totally fair. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, – we're going to move on. I guess this doesn't really have a, a place, but I wanted to like kind of discuss it. Maybe maybe a feminist recap. Okay. Okay, I'll go there. So do you have a favorite quote you want to share? I do. It's a good one. I almost put it in the thing, but then I didn't, and it's okay because it's a good one. It needs to be in the favorite quote section. Nice. <clears throat> She this is where she finds out he's there at the house party and he's she knows who he really is. And she's like, why didn't you tell me I can't like you're an aristocrat now that makes you different. You're not the same person. And quote, he says, quote, I'm everything you thought me. He whispered in he whispered his voice broken, the gardener and the aristocrat and the madman. I endured bedlam and was in I endured bedlam and it was a crucible to my soul, burning what I was before and reshaping me. I wouldn't have survived it had I not let myself be remolded. In truth, I don't know what sort of man I am anymore. Newly smelted, newly poured into some strange and original mold. I was still too hot to the touch for discovery. But I know this. Whatever strange creature I have become, I am yours. Help me, Lily. Unmold me and take what form I am in your hands and blow the breath of life into me. Make me a living being again. I love that. I also had it highlighted. Because mm-hmm. it's just it's just so beautiful and it's so it's just a very poetic way to describe his trials and tribulations and like how he is and how Lily makes him feel. And I just really thought it was gorgeous. Yes. Well, I have two little funny ones. And so this is just a quick snippet um, of writing of Elizabeth Hoyt's. 
The problem with writing witty dialogue, Lily thought bitterly the next afternoon, was that ideally one should actually be witty in order to write wittily. (laughs) And I found that to be pretty witty in itself because we've talked about this before when you have like a writer or a poet or an author of some sort in your book that you have to like write their thing that's supposed to be good or funny or whatever. It's just like, there's just no way to do it. And so Mm -hmm. I thought that that was really cute, like showing the author having exactly that moment of of issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the next one I have is more of like a little bit of a I don't know, a leading thing, just a moment of the Duke of Montgomery, because Mm -hmm. he's such a wild card. And I appreciated this little funny moment that he was having with the cousin who's actually mad, but who's also like title mad and, Mm -hmm. you know, bloodline mad. And so this is what the Duke of Montgomery says. He says, quote, if that were done, drawled the Duke of Montgomery, half the titles of England would go obsolete due to brain weakness. I know my own grandfather fancied himself a cowherd at times. Really, your grace? John leaned forward to see down the table. Not a shepherd or goat herd? I'm told he was quite specific in his mania, and only cows would do, his grace replied. Of course, there were those who said his affliction was the direct result of a certain type of disease, which I won't mention in the present company, as it is of an indelicate nature. Uh, Which we know he's referring to syphilis, but like... I just appreciate all of these, like, first of all, the Duke is weird and funny. And like, I just appreciate that Elizabeth Hoyt is always adding in these little tidbits of kind of like real life and the gritty life and the hard mm-hmm. than the disease. And it's just, uh, I I liked it. Uh, yeah, I, I actually did have um, a couple things like referring to like the Duke of Montgomery highlighted because it's just he's just a very interesting character and we do get more of him which is you know fascinating in its own way so it uh he's he's a he's a puzzle and we're gonna learn more about him as the books go so now okay steaminess time <gasps> yeah this is real steamy <laughs> guys they have wall sex with like a group of people behind it he's like can't handle it gotta do you right now against the wall so this is actually somewhere between this i thought this was super steamy um but somewhere between this and the feminist recap um which i'll just say i think this is a supporter in in many ways um Mm -hmm. but so speaking of our trigger warning of the rape it was actually apollo who was raped in bedlam And he alludes to it. He never actually, like, says it happened. Most of the time, the it's like a flashback of him remembering the guard coming and unbuckling his pants when he was beaten. And, like, he remembers that. And He remembers that as also, too. Like, and again, it's implied or it was suggested because in the first book, too, like, there is that same moment where he sees the guard unbuckling the pants, but then he really starts fighting, but... That's also like the trigger point of when he was most injured because that was like when they basically knock him out. So whether or not it happened is up for us to decide. Yeah. But I think it's interesting because he never brings it up to Lily and like his healing from being raped isn't really like brought up. And I think I, I miss, I'm not sure that I'm fully remembering the book, but there is a hero who had also been raped in one of Kerrigan Burns, at least one of Kerrigan Burns' books. It's mm-hmm. definitely in the Victorian Rebel series. It might be the Highwayman. 
I can't remember if it's that or if it's the Duke with the dragon tattoo or if it's the Highlander. Honestly, it's one of those, I think. Uh, It's definitely in that series. And so, like, I think she handles kind of like the the healing from that traumatic event better where I think this one is like alluded to and then kind of just dismissed and not really healed from. I don't really necessarily have an opinion about that. It's just one of those things that I'm like, hmm, like, do I wish that there was some sort of of healing from from that trauma that is was like specifically addressed? Like I kind of think I do, but I don't know where that would have been and I don't know how it would have fit because I like the way the story goes, but I, I just wanted to bring it up. That's fair. I think that again, I think it's also like the tone of the writers. Like I think it's too you know, Elizabeth Hoyt, like she she gets into a lot, but she doesn't take it to that next step versus like Kerrigan Byrne really like she puts you in it. Like, yeah, she's and she, then, it's, it like, seems to me like Kerrigan Byrne has and I'm I am speculating here. So like, you know, I, I, I don't know her personally. Um, I've had the, the I've been lucky enough to meet her and she's, you know, a really wonderful human being. But, I you know, she's spoken about some of the traumas that she has had in her past. So she is she is familiar with trauma um i and so and healing from trauma and so i think that like she probably has a personal as someone who has a personal experience with it can handle it differently than maybe somebody who doesn't have personal experience with it i have no idea if elizabeth hoyt does or does not have personal experience i certainly hope she doesn't have personal experience i don't want everyone anyone to have personal experience with trauma but um i think having the personal experience probably does give you just a different perspective when you're writing it. I think so too. And I also think that I mean, when were these books written? Like uh 2000s. Yeah, I know that, but like early, I think, versus like I think that even just in the last 10 years, like what books are willing to go what like the romance genre books are willing to go into and willing to discuss, I think that has changed significantly. So I yeah. think that like we want tragic backstories, but at this time, it was like, they can't be too tragic. We need them to be a little blurry around the edges versus like, no, we want to actually get into the trauma and like really tell you what happened. Fair. Totally fair. And this was this was just because it's curi- I was curious. This is published 2014. So oh, more so recently that, than more I would have thought. thought. Also, I don't appreciate its Goodreads rating. Everyone is crazy. I don't what know. What is the Goodreads rating? It's 3.9. Are you kidding what? me? Are you kidding me? All right. Well, let's. I mean, a 3.9 would make me pick up the book. If it's yeah. below a th- if it's below a 3.5, I'm like, do I? Should I? It's probably yeah. not that good. <laughs> yeah. So let's get to our final book reading rating. But quickly, I will say, I think this book is a supporter. You've got Strong Lily and all the stuff with Kitty and all the oh, stuff. Oh, and her brother announces her as the actual playwright without nary a fuss. Yes. And just stuff between Artemis and Apollo and all of the the – I just think – People in this book are helping each other out in a really positive way. I find this book to be very feminist. I agree with that 100%. All right, Zoe, what are you going to rate this book? This is a 10 for me. I actually don't think this book is perfect, but it's one of my favorite books, which 
there's something about it that like, I will never, I will always know this book, remember this book. I love this book. I love sitting down and reading this book. Every time I sit and read it, I'm like, oh, this is just a fabulous book. It is so fun. I love so many things about it. I can't even articulate them. There's just a feeling. And so that's why it gets a 10 for me. Perfect. I'm going to give it a nine because it's really high. It's definitely one of my favorites of the series for sure. Yay. It's it's memorable. And listeners, I hope that you love reading it too. Excellent. All right. So we are making our way through these books. It's very exciting. And they're going to get better and better from here. But really? I, I, I mean, see, I don't know if they're going to get better and better. There's always already <laughs> a 10. But I mean, like, they're not getting worse from here. I'll say that. Yes. But we're going to take another break. So we, we got two of them out. We're going to maybe finish this series this year. Who knows? There's only 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. There's five more books left in this Woo. series. So we can sprinkle them in. We're only a third of the – a quarter of the way through – quarter? Quarter of the way through the month or the year. God, well, I don't even know. Kelsey, don't forget there's a bunch of novellas that are 0.5s in there, so... I'm not counting those, Zoe, okay? <laughs> I'm not counting them. It's too many. <laughs> yes, and we are, for the novellas, when we do get to them, I think we probably won't do a formal synopsis. We'll just be doing like a telling each other what we remember synopsis so that we can get those out to you guys sooner rather than later. And we've actually already done one of them, so... <laughs> So there's that. But next time, we're going to be reading a patron choice again. And this is going to be The Last Hellion by Loretta Chase. And this is suggested to us by our patron, Catherine. So thank you, Catherine, for your suggestion. We're looking forward to reading that. And uh, we'll be back at you very soon. If you have a moment, we would super appreciate it if you rate and review the podcast anywhere you can do that or tell a friend because that is how we get found. So thank you again, everyone, for listening. And join us next time as we read The Last Hellion by Loretta Chase. And may all your ever afters end happily. behind you in the frame i'm sorry i just have to stop because oh. there's a cat and it's pawing at the door oh, and it's excuse so me the cat the cat would like to leave <laughs> one moment sorry fred kelsey's switching animals so the dog is coming in and the cat is going out <laughs> it was a very cute little tableau okay now that all the animals are situated <laughs> i exchanged a cat for a dog but you know that happens yeah, I've got a dog here behind me, and uh, hopefully our dogs will enjoy our discussion today.